0: freedom ring, let freedom ring, let freedom ring, let freedom ring.
1: This is Under the Tree, a seminar on freedom with Bill Ayers.
0: Welcome back to Under the Tree. I'm Bill Ayers and I'm here with Light Ilee, Roxana Espos, and Palace Shaw, gathered in the spirit and the memory of Malik Aleem for our seminar on freedom.
1: Ah,
2: that was the artist and freedom fighter Tom Morello with his signature anthem, Let Freedom Ring. Tommy's generosity is an inspiration. He shows up wherever people are coming together under the banner of freedom in search of peace and justice.
0: We broadcast from the so-called Chicagoland area of Illinois, unceded land stewarded by many peoples and lineages for millennia, including the Potawatomi, the Ojibwa, and the Odawa, and a dozen more indigenous nations. We acknowledge them and thank them as we, justice seekers and freedom fighters, organizers and activists, remember and honor a history of stolen land and resources, a history of genocide, and we pledge to keep our eyes and our hearts open in our shared struggle for peace and repair justice and joy balance and love
3: we're transmitting as always on the freedom frequency calling on you to join us as we look uneasily at the world we've inherited and struggle towards a world that could be or should be but is not yet so let's keep asking what is freedom how do we get there What are the freedom dreams that encourage us to drive us forward? These good questions animate our every conversation and our ongoing reflection.
0: Our first traditional feature is a quiet contemplation of a poem, our moment of Zen. And today we'll read For Sophie by the dazzling Rita Dove.
2: For Sophie, who'll be in the first grade in year 2000. No bright toy, this world we've left you. Even the wrapping is torn. The ribbons grease fleet and ask you Still, it's all we have. Wait a moment before you pick it up. Study its scratches, how it shines in places. Now love what you touch, and you will touch wisely. May the world in your hands brighten with use. May you sleep in sweet breath and rise always in wonder to mountain and forest, green gaze and silk cheek. Dear Sophie, Little Spanish.
4: The second regular feature is a free write, impromptu, unedited, spur of the moment. So pause the podcast for just a moment and write wildly. No need for edits or revisions in response to this prompt. What can we do together to rise like a phoenix from the ashes to make the gun-smoked and broken world brighten with use?
0: All right, start writing. We'll be right here when you get back.
1: Email us at under the tree pod at gmail.com to share your response to the writing prompt or if you just want to introduce yourself and build community. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel, Under the Tree Podcast, for clips and interviews. And follow us on Instagram at under the tree Podcast.
0: It's time for our segment, Artists, Activists, Authors, After Hours, which we pronounce Ah. And I'm joined today by three extraordinary organizers and activists, Denzel Burke, Destiny Phillips and Tommy Hagen, leaders of the Real Youth Initiative. Real was founded in 2018 at an Illinois juvenile prison where both Denzel and Destiny were incarcerated. They discussed the idea of launching a program that organizes and builds power with people like themselves who'd been through the criminal legal system. They envisioned an organization run and directed by those who've experienced it and understand what it's like to have been in the streets and face periods of incarceration, but they also envisioned an organization working toward the dismantling of the conditions like poverty and a lack of social supports that lead to violence and to incarceration. So Destiny, Denzel, and Tommy, welcome. Thank you. Good to have you here. So I guess what I'd like to start by just asking you to explain what REAL is and what REAL does. Um, You've been out of for quite a while, a couple of years, right? And you've built this organization, and it's having an impact. Tell people what it, what it is you are trying to do, what your purpose is.
3: Our purpose at Real, I would say, is um, to um, develop revolutionary consciousness with formerly and currently incarcerated young people towards the abolition of prisons and places that reproduce them, and also um, utilizing and understanding um, political education to develop a framework and... Um, sort, some sort of system that we can um, you know come together and co-create and um,
0: live in that world amongst one another So that was Denzel and Destiny how did you What where did this idea come from?
3: The
2: idea came from being inside and just you know watching people come in and out and you know telling their stories like you know I didn't have much to go to when I went home or I didn't have a good support system or, you know, um, I was, like, still profiled once I came home or, like, um, I was forced to do all these things that really wasn't beneficial for me um, but was a way to, like, you know, keep me from, you know, going where I wanted to go, such as, like, you know, getting out and being on aftercare, which is, like, either... Electric monitoring mean you have to go home on with a band on your leg and be monitored. Sometimes you get, you know, to get a set time to say, hey, you can be free from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., but at 7 p.m. you have to go back to your home, um, and sometimes not. Sometimes you only get, like, movement for, for school. Um, or a job, but jobs that only accept, you know, people that didn't have a background or a felony charge on their background. So it was, it was more as, like, you choosing to either go to, like, a factory that hired people, um, which was, like, even more work or felt like, you know, with my experience, still having a factory job I almost felt like you know, fighting for the crumbs, or like you know, because those are the lowest-paying jobs. Um, but yeah, and um, also, I would say that. But also realizing, like, um, there's there's no young person really. Young people our age. Um, that's really doing the work on the level that we, we're we doing it on. So just identifying that and understanding we closest to the people that we want to serve, and we better know them um, than anybody else may know them. So it's easier for us to connect with them and understand them on a different level.
0: Okay. So, Tommy, how did you get into this? And then I want to come back to some of the points you made, Destiny, but how would you get into it, Tommy? So...
4: And I feel like this also speaks to one of the precursors to the launch of Reel. Um, I had met Denzel um, helping him with a project that he was leading as he came home, um, the Reimagining Youth Justice Project with Northwestern Children and Family Justice Center, where um, Denzel with Sarah Sillins had gone into all five of the youth prisons, plus Stateville, um, and kind of interviewed young people about how they'd reimagine a youth justice system. And I came on towards the end of the project to help co-lead some of the virtual workshops because it had blended it, it started before the pandemic and ended after the pandemic mm-hmm. um, and helped co-author the report. And one of the, the key things that emerged out of that report was that young people coming home don't feel safe, right they, they come home and need to stay inside because if they go to the corner store they feel that they might be targeted by you know, a community member or by the police and you know face kind of rampant threats to their safety. Um, and I think like part of real is is also like building the kind of safe spaces for young people who face matrices of violence, um, coming home and kind of building, you know, um, a real revolutionary program for them to struggle with other people towards their freedom. Um, so I think it was it was in that project that I became close friends with Denzel. And then when Denzel and Destiny founded Real, um I came on to help launch the program um, and brought in other experience that I had, um, doing programming inside prisons, but also, um, like organizing towards abolition in other spaces
0: okay you know the 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 thing that I think is interesting I'd love for each of you all of you to talk to this because you talk about serving youth and you talk about you know helping folks re-enter and so on but but somehow you also talk about building revolutionary consciousness how do those things go together or another way of asking the same question is what is distinctive about what you're doing that a social worker with a different attitude inside of politics couldn't do what's different what sets you apart
3: this is this is Denzel speaking again um for me what what, what stands out you know drastically different from any social worker a person that wants to come and volunteer is one being a person and a young person in our program currently um a few I've myself been incarcerated with like actually in real time and actually lived on units and um you know, develop relationships, you know, prior to the the existence of real. But um, the point I wanted to elaborate on was really about as we build revolutionary consciousness with young people and um, learn from um, past activists and people who have laid out a lot of groundwork for the material that we study today, the young people get it immediately because they're so connected to um, oppression and so linked through family and different things. So when we come inside And we speak to young people, we think it's hard for them to understand the concepts of uh, imperialism, neocolonialism, and a lot of these um, concepts that, you know, produce, um, um, like, uh, I would say, uh, bring our young people to the point in which um, they really understand the dynamics of staff to police to military, and um, they're all linked together. So um, through our program and how we try to um, build community with young people and learn about them and their upbringings, they see a connectiveness with our upbringing, our lives, which they know that we're not police and they know that we don't have um, some goal to try to swindle them. Like a young person that, you know, we speak to and and meet with regularly now talks about how um, in the past um, it's easy to decipher if a person's here for you for real or they're not. And I think the young people um, recognize through our effort, commitment, how we show up, how we relate to one another. And when we dive into this information, um, not whitewashing it, not watering it down, but um, sticking hard to the facts and um, going over history, unlike we have in school.
2: <clears throat> this is Destiny. I also wanna add um, to like being patient with them as well. Cause even though we may, study together as a group um, and have different workshops throughout the three um, juvenile prisons. Sometimes uh, one group is ahead of the other, sometimes not. So having to run those workshops um, after one another, where some people may be adding, I mean, some people may be joining into one group who has already went over this uh, material, so they have to, like, be patient. While we be patient with them, they also have to be patient with one another. Um, and while doing that, I've also learned that they are teaching as well. Like, when someone come, um, you know, and they ask questions and somebody in a group, and nine times out of ten, it might be people that's on the new people that are joining They might already be housed with them So they have already like caught them up a little bit And said look we talked about this at real So sometimes they already come to the group Knowing like oh yeah Such and such said Y'all yeah, was going over this material So I'm kind of familiar with it But you know we can go over it as a group And make sure everyone is caught up And on the same level of understanding Before we go to the next material
0: So they all become teachers too And are they teaching you anything?
2: Absolutely How so? So it's it's been times where I definitely don't know um, something, and we would like go through a writing or a reading, um, and I would say like this is what I think, and someone would be like, well, these are actually like the facts. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, okay, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go back and do my mm-hmm. do some more research.
0: <laughs> well, you know, I, I I was very honored when you when you three invited me to come and watch your work and come and be part of your work. Uh, we went to two. Uh, juvenile prisons together and uh, I was very impressed with your pedagogy and part of the reason I was impressed is something I'm familiar with which is you had them you began by some introductions and check-ins and then you had them doing free writes on prompts and 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 what I liked about it exactly the way you did it is that there were no right answers they the the folks came up with very smart insights into their own experiences. And you were kind of, what I was believe in as a teacher, you were unlocking the wisdom in the room. And you were, you know, harvesting the wisdom in the room. So I, I really appreciated that. Um Do you feel like you're getting better as as teachers? Are you learning as you go?
4: I think, yeah, definitely. I think like we've, we've developed our curriculum, like over the last year to kind of like suit the needs of like young people and also like suit the needs of us as facilitators and like how we, we each like to facilitate. So I feel like we've definitely grown into those different skills and also like, you know, I think the freeway comes out of like experimentation of different ways of practicing. We also, I think a core part that's something we got back to this last week was also working in just like, you know, almost like games and like spaces to chill out. Cause I think we do a lot of like heavy curriculum about like revolutionary history or, you know, about, something in the world that people are organizing against it's usually caught up with like extreme state violence and people resisting that state violence but we also recognize that they like they are young people who are being robbed of their youth by being put in juvenile prisons and we like to create a space where we just like sit down play cards like play some games with young people and kind of check in and create a kind of safe social space so i think we've developed that over time to create a a good balance between like rigorous education but also like Spaces where young people can, like, let their guard down and, like, be vulnerable with each other and just hang out.
0: Mm -hmm. And when you say, you've all said develop revolutionary consciousness. What are they going to do with the revolutionary consciousness? And what what is the next step for them? I mean, somebody comes out, you all came out. But, I mean, some of the folks you're working with, uh, we were talking to a couple guys who are coming out very soon. And we're asking you for help you know, around practical matters, but what are they going to do with their critique, with their understanding of, of kind of the system that's locking us all in? What, what, what's your expectation?
3: I would say somewhat of, of this is uh, somewhat of my expectation doesn't fully lie on some tangible thing they need to do or be in the future. Yeah. I really just would hope that, um, in our in our um, workshops and groups that we sit down with these young people and build these relationships that do come uh, follow them as they come home. It doesn't end. Uh, many um, programs end um, with young people like they say they can work with you on the inside and only work with you there, and they say, you, "Well, we can only work on, with you on the outside and they only working with you in that aspect." But I think with um, the young people, they all have special skills and capabilities that that aid a larger movement that we're all seeking to reach. So. In whatever aspects that we incorporate um, some discipline or skill building that they can utilize for this larger movement of liberation of all people, especially in the, the context of all American um, prisoners and, and political prisoners. But I, I would really just like to see people live out their dreams um, love, be free in society. So in whatever way they can utilize their skills or ability in the world and their revolutionary consciousness intersected with all of that is success in my own eyes and expectation for their
4: uh, futures. This is Tommy. Um, I also want to add that that we um, the idea of revolutionary consciousness like came to us as we were reading Black Against Empire, the book, and there's a quote from an SDS member, Greg Calvert, um, who said revolutionary consciousness is seeing the condition under which you live as unfree, right, and being oppressed, um, but not having that be like an isolating idea, but rather something that connects you to the majority of people mm. on the globe, and and revolutionary consciousness being something that 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 leads to a commitment to free yourself and like in 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 solidarity with with all those who share the burden of being oppressed, and I think. In some ways, like I've seen that even with some of our fellows, right, who, who have come home and are leading programs for other directly impacted young people who are coming home from prison that center some form of revolutionary political education alongside like other a different kind of survival program or like space for like community gathering. Um, how like it's provoked their curiosity, right. And like revolutionary history or like going to a rally or, you know, applying for different liberation education programs or doing that kind of work. And I think with the young people inside, we've seen them develop like a real consciousness about capitalism, -capitalism, anti-capitalism, anti-imperialism, like wanting to know more about Palestine. Um, So I think it's also that like moving towards a kind of like shared struggle of, of freeing everybody who shares the burden of oppression.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, I think being able to name unfreedom is the first step towards being free. I mean, if you just take for granted that this is just the way it's always been and the way it'll always be, you're stuck. Um, so I really appreciate that.
2: Yeah, this is Destiny. I also wanted to add revolutionary consciousness to me and teaching them about these things. My only axe would be like, well, I think it's our, it, 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 I wouldn't even have to ask because it would be, a. Um, this is something that they w- will want to contribute to once they fully know, like, the political education and, you know, get out and see certain things and connection to what we've been talking about. And it's all, it's almost like an aha moment. And a lot of times, um, I had those moments when talking to them because it's like when I was inside, if I would have known a lot of the things that I know now today, I, it the prison wouldn't been able to take me <laughs> uh-huh. um, so and knowing that i know like they're going to be great people when they come home and they're going to want to contribute to like this movement, and that would be my only access you know to grow out this movement larger than what it is so that we can be the majority people
0: yeah you know one of the things that impressed me so impressed me when i was with you inside was that, I mean, Tommy's saying that partly you just want to be young. I mean, you want to love your life and, you know, chill a little bit and also learn and grow and know stuff. And But one of the things that really impressed me is you had a way of shining a light on these young people. The whole world is telling them to to erase them, to tell them what they've done that's wrong. And you had a way of bringing out their intelligence and their spirit and I just thought they shined in your presence. I thought they were really, you could see a different kind of thing. And I kept, when I was there, I mean, I've done, I've been, in, I teach in prison, but when I was with you all, I felt like, geez, I wish everybody could see this. And I remember asking, you, is the governor going to come in? Are you going to be here when the governor's visiting? Because I want the governor to see that when you guys come in, you a light goes on in, inside each of these kids. And it's really impressive because the world is erasing them and you're re-inscribing them. I mean, can you read what's on your sweatshirt, Destiny? I, I, I can read yes. it from here, maybe, but it's what does it say? It says.
2: It says prisons do not disappear. Social problems, they disappear. Human beings. Exactly. By Angela Davis.
0: Exactly. And so what you all are doing is reappearing, human beings. You know, and and it it it, it made me think about. Some stuff I've been reading about other prisons, about Rikers Island, for example, in New York. You know, um, you know the rapper Fatboy, he, he was visiting friends in Rikers, and he said, you know, the thing that's crazy is that when I got to Rikers, it was the exact same architecture as the school that these kids went to and the housing project these kids lived in. So they were already prepared for it, just in an aesthetic Architectural sense, and he says, "I was born in Rikers." I mean, and there's a way in which it, it it really, it's a disappearing kind of project and and erasing, and and that's why I think, in a lot of ways, the revolution, for you all and for these kids, really is awakening the idea that this is not the way it has to be, that I am a human being and standing up for that. But I I, I thought that was very heavy to say. The school I went to, the housing project they lived in, it looked just like this, you know, and, and that's a terrifying thought. Um, you know, the other thing that I think that I think happens in prisons is the, the first shock is that nobody's paying attention to you, that you're not seen that the world is ignoring you, that the world, and I think, I, I think all the time about the fact that here I teach in a university that's a mile from where 6,000 African-American men are in cages. My students don't know that. How is it possible that they don't know it? And in some way I know they do know it but are ignoring it. So I think that, that notion of visibility is really important, and I think it's important in your work.
3: Absolutely. I, I can touch on that a little bit, too, because even the aspect about um, juvenile incarceration within, like, the state of Illinois, like, I had little knowledge about prior to being arrested. And then um, once I was arrested, you know, put in a paddy wagon, this, you know, CPD large van and transported to this um, this juvenile temporary detention center in Chicago, Cook County Juvenile temporary Center. And it's this massive... Um, you know, juvenile prison, but um, detention center facility that, you know, could house up to, you know, a thousand or more young people and walking inside and um, getting, you know, stripped of your clothes and then giving these, you know, state clothes with, you know, the print JTDC on it and, you know, some slides. And as you're walking up to the elevator to go up, you see going up all of these floors, and you see it's like a, um, a big fishbowl where all of the windows are floor to ceiling and it's see-through so that from the inside, everyone can see every aspect. Staff downstairs can see upstairs on the fifth floor and the fourth floor staff see third floor. But the world is completely um, oblivious to this. And it's crazy because when I came in, I had no idea where the kids that got kicked out of the class or the one on the block that got in trouble, where do they go? And I found myself in this huge facility walking, hey, that's my friend from way back, and oh, that's my friend, and, um, you get a little scared, too, because if then, even yourself in a situation where you're connected to people, you're not knowing where they go, where does the rest of the world that doesn't have to deal with police hopping out of cars, chasing you, whether they see your face or not, they see a black boy, and they're, they're on you for no reason, so, um, I think they create a, a factor as well, you know, obviously they do a great job of not bringing the audio, sound equipment and visuals because if the majority of the world had a chance to see what was inside, and not and not even the, the, the dynamics of the facility itself, but I, I would say the people, because you will realize a lot of young men and women don't belong there in the first place. They're not um, beasts or animals, um, they're very likable and, and young people that, you know, may have got misguided, but, um, in the context of you know America and its history, and the truth being that our ancestors aren't connected to America itself, and this isn't where our history began and I'm speaking from the lens of um, my grandmother is um, from Mississippi in the South, and my father is from Peru, an immigrant. Um, the The connection always seems to be with staff and many people you speak to that um, It started here with America, and you're a part of this, but um, in my heart, I know that um, a lot of my ancestors had many ways of living prior to the Americas, and um, I would say a lot of the the, the goal that they do is trying to create an aspect in which scares the public to thinking that people aren't socialized and can't be in public, so they create a dynamic that is scary and makes you um, create an image about a young person long before you know them. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. So, when I went with you uh, to those two, two facilities, and you had such good relations, and as I say, you were very inspiring teachers, but the curriculum that day was the radical Martin Luther King, because it was King's birthday week, I think, and... Um, I was pretty impressed for, for for a lot of reasons. But one is, you had some statements from King himself, and then you had them, you read aloud, you actually read Round Robin, an article by an old friend of ours, Martin Sastra, and the article was called something like, Martin Luther King was a lawbreaker. Is that what it was called? Yeah. yeah. And what Sastra does in that article, that I, I, I didn't remember the article, but what he does, and the kids picked up on it immediately, was that you, we all know King, you know 50 60 years later as a christian as a preacher as a man of nonviolence but what we forget is he was a consistent lawbreaker saying he was nonviolent didn't mean he was sitting on a couch smoking a joint nothing wrong with that but you know he was doing stuff he was being, he was an activist and that's what martin was bringing forward was this idea that you can't just say that you're a moral or a good person just by sitting on a couch. You have to do something and what King did was break the law constantly. So talk about why you chose that and that curriculum and what what you're doing these days. I mean other curricula.
4: I think that curriculum specifically has been tied to a larger project we've embarked on. Um, we we still haven't decided on a name for the project, but it's a it's a zine project on the life and legacy of, of Martin Sostre, um who is a a political prisoner um, and an anarchist, anti-imperialist revolutionary um, through the 60s and 70s and, and lived until, I think, 2015. Um, but, you know, a lot of his life is is relatively unknown and, and partly because he was incarcerated and in the state, tried to disappear him, right, by framing him and, and, and putting him in prison for five years. So you think he faced three years in solitary confinement, but all of his writings kind of, deal explicitly with, you know, uh, the right to bodily autonomy of people inside and how the prison is is constantly violating people's right to bodily autonomy through pat-down searches, but also through regular cavity searches that, you know, I I don't think many people know this, but, like, young people who are in juvenile prisons are subject to cavity searches, um, and pretty regularly, too, even when, like, keys go missing inside of a juvenile prison, young people will be subject to cavity searches, which is, like, in any other context, uh, sexual assault. So Martin Sastre waged a, a a protest against New York State prisons against their right to search him. It um, was put in solitary confinement for years, and you know did a ton of work for revolutionary political education, and uh, was one of the most prolific jailhouse lawyers. So I think all of that, but like I think the important. Part two is that he dedicated his life to also working with young people, right? Like once he, he he got home from prison, he he kind of dedicated his life to different political education projects with people who were directly impacted by incarceration, young people. So uh, Garrett Felber uh, reached out to us about um, creating zines on Martin Sastre's life and doing those in collaboration with young people who are currently incarcerated. And I think it's just been a very generative project because young people have you know related a lot to Martin Sastre's life and have actually like developed their own tactics of protest and resistance um in inspiration of learning about Martin Sastre's many many protests against against the state.
0: That's great. I mean, you could call it live like Martin and then people would look into it and you'd be talking about Martin Sastre. You say what you said? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, Mar- Martin I mean he was all the things you say and he was he was a man of tremendous integrity. I mean, that's the thing that everybody who came in touch with him felt uh, touched by. I mean, he's very little known today, but y'all are going to resurrect him, but live like Martin because he was a revolutionary. He wasn't anarchist. He was also a very, very smart teacher. And the other thing I'd say about Martin, that's important for you all as young people is that he, he ran a bookstore and he, he was an intellectual. I mean, he, read 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 constantly and he believed in study and so even though he was in isolation and this and that he was always studying always trying to you know keep his moral compass pointed in the right direction um but i love that idea so you brought out the revolutionary king the revolutionary martin martin saster's revolutionary martin luther king and you had some quotes from cornell west and then you had this what's now happening in the course of history happened repeatedly to the theories of revolution, revolutionary thinkers and leaders of oppressed classes fighting for emancipation. During the lifetime of every great revolutionary, the oppressing classes constantly hounds them, re, re, receives their theories with the most savage malice, the most furious hatred, unscrupulous campaigns of lies and slander. And after the deaths, attempts are made to convert them into harmless icons. And that's a great quote that you gave to your... your folks you work with inside and who wrote that
3: Vladimir
0: Lenin, Lenin. Yeah. um and it kind of blew my mind because I read it and it just fit what you were saying about King yeah. <laughs> precisely mm-hmm. and yet it was written by Lenin it's from State and Revolution so I was kind of surprised to see that and I don't think they know I don't think anybody knows who Lenin is but I mean not any, nobody but you know I think that you were bringing a fresh perspective on that um so, let's go back a minute um, um, to this question of service versus transformation. You've talked a little about it. Maybe you could say another word about the ways that what you're doing has long-term implications for movement building.
3: Um, yes, w- with our work, I would say a lot of what we do, you know, seems brand new and, and foreign to us in context of um You know, people who've been incarcerated and directly impacted continuing to collaborate and work with people who are currently incarcerated. And I think that's been something that's long been done. But to us and our program and being young people that faced many years at the time we were first incarcerated and think myself, I was 15 years old. Destiny was 14 years old spending five years. But those five years were uncertain. In the beginning, I was facing 45 to life. And now we're all 23 here. And we sit at tables with young people who are only a few years younger than us. A lot of the time, I would say we spend truly just studying together. And they teach us a lot more sometimes that I feel like they taught me, and I know my um, comrades beside me now can even say, as of lately, I've been telling young people they're at a, a farther point um, radically than than I was, and, and it's um, it's beautiful to see. And what w- what I think we do now is create a culture of that being okay, and also that being something that we enrich and try to you know evoke more from one another and the young people within themselves and on units to create a society where we are the majority and and we are at at a lot of prisons. Uh, Staff don't outnumber us and we identify and have identities that lie with great revolutionaries that fought for freedom. And as we're all in bondage, we have to remember that this is a a bigger political game that has been waged long before we were born. And although we found ourselves in it, we can claim it as something that is our control narrative and, and the society doesn't have to control that for us. So when I sit with the young people at the tables and the staff are, you know, twiddling their thumbs, I know that we're building real power and it seems like on a small scale and I wish we had microphones and, you know, computers and laptops and all of the things that would make it a an environment like, you know, maybe students at U Chicago that could sit down and, you know, delve into, you know, dense material. We're doing that on a different level. And I think um, what it's creating is the the capacity for when the time comes and, um I think, you know, the world will flip on its head. But, you know, it's me speaking radically right now.
0: <laughs> you are. That's very clear. You know, it said, there was a poet who said if if one woman told the truth about her life, the world would crack open. And I think there's, there's something to what you're saying.
4: I was going to say there's also just so much revolutionary potential in young people, especially young people who are directly impacted. Um and we we actually went over this in our workshop last week, where we read um, Martin's uh, essay "The New Prisoner," where he talks about how like the state's repression, and this is in the aftermath of Attica, the state's repression is kind of breeding a new consciousness that's like fully committed to revolution. That the more the state represses, the more they're radicalizing like people who they will release into the ghettos of America to to like successfully gain liberation, right? And he has this idea is that like people are going from dungeons to focos, um, which is you know, a, a a term for, a you know, a guerrilla unit fighting for liberation, um, which I think a lot of young people... Like, that's actually one of the, like, uh, proposed titles for our zine project, so early release is from Dungeons Sophocos. That's, that's um, a great title. So we're thinking about that, but I think...
0: Subtitle, Live Like Mark. Exactly. <laughs>
4: <laughs> but I think what what's recognized in that um, is the fact that, like, young people experiencing these conditions, even, I mean, like... A lot of young people right now who are in our program are are sitting in a confinement sentence on the ABU, which is the administrative behavioral unit, which is pretty much like a solitary confinement unit in a juvenile prison. And we were there last week and it's it's like, you know, total sensory deprivation, like, you know, maybe a twenty foot by fifteen foot room with a dim yellow light, a drop ceiling with panels that are missing or discolored or broken right? There's like blood in a corner, right? There's a TV that's on way too loud, blaring the ion channel. There's no sunlight coming in, right? And because it's it's big enough for large muscle activity, young people are confined there without going outside, like bearing an emergency medical situation for 14 days, right? Which is torture. But I think like by those experiences, like young people intuitively understand that like prisons and all of the you know, punitive governing structure prisons are weapons against the people, right? And I think the more that we do kind of revolutionary political education with young people, the more that they kind of draw the connections between like this situation and those of Palestinians in the West Bank, right? Like this situation and like hunger strikers in the H block in 1981, right? Like this situation and those along the border, right? Um, So I think, I think, what is like different about our our program right is recognizing that like young people have all the skills and we as a community have all the skills right for a real social transformation and revolution right we have artists authors community leaders peacemakers everything right in this group of young people who whenever program or typically when programs interact with them it's it's oh you need you need something from us right we actually need something from them right Right. in order to get to a world that's like free and liberated we need their insight, their knowledge, mm-hmm. their power, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I think that's something that we center in all our programs is is their revolutionary insight, their revolutionary potential, and our revolutionary community.
0: You know, it's it's it it really was manifest when I saw you all working. I I just was hugely impressed, as I say. So you all draw on a lot of different things. You draw on the Black Panther Ten Point Program. What book are you reading now together um, that you're? Going to talk about in your book group?
2: So, right now we are reading um, Asada. Um, that's one book club we're in. Us three has not yet started the anarchism book, but we plan to start maybe this week. But we do want to do Asada with the young people as well because we just had a young person join who was, like, very excited about, you know, knowing, not knowing Asada, but knowing the book and yeah. referencing different things from the book, who is also from um, Palestine. Um, his family is from Palestine, wow. and he know like, a lot of information in regards to his origin.
0: So so you stand in the in the black radical tradition. Is that where you, I mean, because here's Sastra, Asada, the radical king. So that's where you generate from, is that correct? Mm-hmm. but also you're generating from the strength of the youth themselves
2: we also um get our strength from you
0: oh please.
2: Um, from all the, <laughs> please all the people who are alive and has paved the way as well and who is still doing this
0: thank you you also said though that that the young people themselves have an analysis almost without help they already their life experience is an analysis and Maybe they need help formalizing it or something and connecting with other kids so it's not individual, but we have this collective experience. But, you know, I'm always taken by the fact that the average age of a runaway slave during the years of slavery was 16 years old. Because when you're 50 or 80, what the hell, you know? You don't have the, the drive, you don't have the vision, you don't have the energy, you know you know you've got in in our world you got a mortgage you got this you got that bills but kids really are able to look at the hypocrisy of the adult world and see through it in a kind of an amazing way and say you know y'all you say this but look look at the world you've left us that's why I wanted to read that poem by you know about the the world we've left kids it's not a bright toy it's a mess and they see it in a lot of ways and and so this whole notion of being a phoenix and rising from the ashes, that's what I see your project. I see it as a, a phoenix project. But I like better than that. I like from, from Dungeons to Focus. So that's what I would call this episode. So, um, But, uh, yeah, so that's an amazing history that you all stand on. When you end your sessions, your your workshop sessions, first of all, I, I, one other question before I get to that. Um how come they let you in there? Why do you? I mean, I there were there were prison personnel sitting right next to us, and I would look at you and I'd look at them and, I'm, dude, you're allowed to do this, and somehow you are. Why?
2: First, I would say, um, like feeding off the relationships that me and Denzel developed while inside, and I would say for me personally, I've always. Um, Paid close attention to my environment and the people that was around me, the people who, quote unquote, had the most power or authority. Um, and I used that to the best of my advantage mm-hmm. um, to get what I wanted. And building those relationships has allowed us to go back in um, and, you know, tell them this is what we need and I need you to get it done. Um, and, they, and they respect that. Um, and it, it it has been times where, you know It's been things come up like, you know Cause they still stuck in like a world Where they just see rules and, you know, structure And so it has been times we come in And they might call us by our last names Or, um, and you know, we have to correct them Or say like, this is who I am today So respect me for who I am now And not for what you seen back then um, and just continuing to correct them, which makes them, you know, be like, okay, maybe, you know, let's not treat them as if they still here or look at them still as like a young person that's still locked up.
0: So, yeah. You know, part of what I'm thinking, and uh, yeah, I want you all to speak to this, but part of what I'm thinking is that every movement and every organization and every project comes up against barriers, against walls. So I'm sitting there with you all, and um, the the staff is there, and I'm thinking, man, what if a wall comes down? I mean, what if a barrier comes down? How are you guys thinking about that? How are you going to break through the next barrier and keep your project alive with all of its integrity Intact.
3: And, and to elaborate even more so on the last point, I, I believe a lot of administrative staff and people with, you know, quote unquote, you know, higher power within their um, hierarchy met us at times in our lives where we spent years inside some of these um, state prisons and even developed relationships with us where they, you know, seen us more as, um, you know, true, actual young people with, you know, great skills and capabilities and charismatic skills. And you know, what would say, hey, you, you know, it would be great if you guys could come back and speak to the young people, and, and you know, so they can start speaking more like you all and, and things of that nature. And um, I think to some degree, um, what they use now and what they co op now is um, this um, credible messenger kind of, you know, model that says, you know, the best people to engage and interact and work with young people are people that you know share those lived experiences and and most of it is just you know phrases that are catchy nowadays to um you know highlight you know restorative transformative reform kind of justice stuff but um to, to our angle we actually made them stand on it to help build power with young people inside
0: yeah and and in a way i mean you all are charming and smart and And you present really well, but in some ways, isn't it the political moment, the post-George Floyd, the post-Black Lives Matter? And so they're saying, maybe we can, you know, these kids will give them a chance, but we're going to, there's a limit to it. So what, you haven't reached the limit, but I'm so impressed with how far you've pushed it and how uncompromising you are. And you continue to kind of have these relationships with people and, and have access but I think you should be thinking about, you know, next steps also. What's yeah, next?
3: Absolutely. And and I'll um just say this briefly before I pass the mic off to Tommy, but um a, a lot of what we center our work in is um almost like a chess game to understand that, you know, we're at we're against the state and we're we're firmly on this side and there's no doubt about it. But to understand that a lot of the methods and modes in which they operate is transcribed in history and done repeatedly. So we are aware and privy to the fact that, you know, somewhat sooner, we really don't know, um, how unclear exactly the level of programming, the way that we function will sustain, but understanding that, um, those things may arise. How can we build up and fortify ourselves to continue on and for the messages to keep being spread and for these organizing groups to continue and workshops to be produced on units, whether we're coming inside or not. But um a lot of that, you know, lies in how we um, you know, teach about, you know, this anarchism slash socialism, black liberation kind of um um mode that that um shields us from having a situation where you know, they try to wipe out one of us, it's gonna continue. You know, it's only gonna spread like wildfire at this point, and it won't get watered down through taking off a leader because um a lot of what we try to instill in the young people is um a deep level of just understanding the basis in which we start, you know, doing the work. <laughs> and that, you know, can can reappear
4: over and over. I was gonna say one thing, but then your comment got me thinking about something else. Was that like the idea, and this is also from an article that you sent, Bill, about um, the, it was like a, a, a 10-year anniversary of the Arab Spring uprisings, um, and it was 10 theses on revolution, but one of the points was talking about, you know, how the pattern of, you know, the oppressor is 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 known, right? It's like, it, it repeats because the only thing that can rely on is the state itself, so it, it falls back on itself constantly, whereas, you know, revolution has spontaneity, and you know, a a lack of pattern to its advantage. Right. And I think going inside, like we kind of understand, right. Like what specific things the state is going to like come down hard on. Right. We know like what specific things give us the kind of space for, you know, like freedom or like education inside. Um, And I think we can, we can stand on that um but i think also like we kind of hold the state to its contradictions right and specifically the department of juvenile justice that it it has a stated mission of providing a social good whereas the illinois department of corrections doesn't right so it says that like our stated mission is to improve youth outcomes and like community safety and and family connect families or something like that that's not exactly but it's pretty much that so i think in like our program like also aiding with young people's reentry right where they are safe and it provides an exit ramp from routes of death and reincarceration which staff inside don't really seem to care about when young people come home they don't follow up with young people as they come home they they don't really care about the safety of young people and how they kind of reintegrate or return home so us providing that kind of holds holds them to their own mission right like we're we we are improving youth outcomes by doing this right and um I think it gives us, like, the, the ability to kind of work in that contradiction. Um, and I think it's, like, through the young people that, like, right now, I think there's, like, 30 young people inside that are, like, members of our organization, right? Um, and more young people outside who have just gotten home. And that's about, you know, 25% of the incarcerated population in IDJJ, right? There's only about 150. I mean, that's not 25%, but, like like, you know, and I think we're seeking to consistently grow our membership base, right? So I think in having, you know, a majority of incarcerated young people in the state of Illinois, right, as like, firm members of real and like committed to some form of like, revolutionary consciousness and revolutionary community. I think that's also the kind of, that's who we can rely on if the state ever comes down and puts up a barrier, right? Like, we know that they can also keep keep this going, right? We know that they have the skills to facilitate and teach as they do already, um, inside the prison so i think that provides us with with like hope regardless of how the state might respond um to how we're moving
0: what was the thinking uh i know you all are taking a delegation to palestine what was the thinking in doing that why is that a priority
3: um i would say too to begin where we you know have some understanding and where i first learned more about um palestine in general um was from our logo that um Tommy Hill pulled from a, um, a mural in, in uh, Belfast, Ireland that um, illustrates um, solidarity between prisoners of war and um, Northern Ireland and um, solidarity between uh, prisoners of war and, and, and uh, Palestine. So um, we, we've we changed the logo a bit to match where we see now is um, two hands clasping and one hand being broken through bars to illustrate, you know, um, free young people who have been incarcerated and currently incarcerated you know just remaining in solidarity but um further um knowing that there there's a clear side that we stand on when it comes to military occupation against um people in their homeland and um understanding that you know it it's really a, a it seems to me as a young person coming from Chicago um a, a kind of once in a lifetime opportunity To get a chance to see it from my own eyes And and um, I've been doing A lot of reading and, and watching documentaries To you know Help guide my understanding more and reading books But um, I think You know furthermore just um, You know Realizing you know the, the, the uh, Colonial settle, settler project That's being you know created Which is Israel is, real, is um, You know something that we, we firmly stand against So I think building solidarity with people who are re- actively resisting is and and showing up to um, state prisons where young people are saying we're resisting, you know, searches and and harassment by staff it just seems like you know the perfect linkage to um immerse ourselves in it's a natural
4: And there's literally like a material connection between the harassment that young people in Chicago face by police and Palestinians in the West Bank face by the IDF that like the IDF and local police departments throughout the United States, like train each other, right? They have like joint training agreements. And I think a very clear elucidation of this is, is the fact that the cop city in Atlanta, Atlanta's, you know, pouring $90 million into a cop training academy and bulldozing, like, you know, hundreds of acres of forest. And the people have, have clearly shown that they do not support that in Atlanta. Um, and they've resorted to further militarization and, and raids on encampments and, and the killing of, of a protester. Um, but the IDF, Israel is like has a contract to to train forces at Cop City, right? So it's like the Israel is literally staked in, you know, the investment in deaths in, like, inner cities in America and, like, investment in in police harassing black people in America. So I think understanding and and building solidarity between Palestinians who are resisting IDF and military occupation is essential for for us also um, ending police occupation in in the United States.
3: And and not to mention where the IDF gets its airplanes, bombs, guns, a lot of it comes, you know, straight from the United States and Boeing.
0: You know, it's it's uh, it it goes back to the shoulders you stand on because Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, Martin Sastra, all the folks you reference were internationalists. I mean, that's part of what made them dangerous. So I, I picture you guys going to Palestine and then come on back, and I'll I'll feed you. But man, you're going to be dangerous. So and I
4: appreciate that. And quick shout out to Iwano who designed the logo for us because. I think, you know, that's the creative base of a lot of the sweatshirt I'm even wearing right now. Um, so I want to give a shout out there um, that we have that logo. Um,
0: because- Beautiful. yeah. And Tommy's sweatshirt says, I am a revolutionary. So when you all end your sessions, tell folks how you, how each session, each educational session, inside, outside, how do they end?
2: So... Well, we never end; they they go on forever. <laughs> but before we leave the facility, um, our our we do a call and response, and is after the um, Fred Hampton speech um, that we always read during the beginning. Every time someone joins, uh, we be sure to read that speech from Fred Hampton, um, and he do a call and response at the end of that speech, and a call and response go. At, I am I am a revolutionary.
3: A revolutionary.
0: And then clap. they clap their hands and then they and then they they're out. Um, well I can't thank you enough for spending time with me, uh, Denzel Burke, Destiny Phillips and Tommy Hagen, leaders of the Real Youth Initiative. And uh, I I will see you soon. I hope you invite me back to to witness again um this extraordinary work you're doing with folks inside and outside. To create a different world a better world um, and thanks again for being here thank you
1: thank you, thank you so much Bill. as noted real youth initiative is sending a delegation of formerly incarcerated young people and organizers from the chicago area on a trip to palestine through palestine trek given that the cost of going will be prohibitive for their delegation without crowdfunded support They are seeking to raise ten thousand dollars to send the seven members of real on a fully funded trip this opportunity will give real organizers the chance to develop relationships and build solidarity with palestinian people resisting military occupation this is a transformative experience that will expand the horizons of directly impacted young people in chicago and will help real draw connections between movements in the u.s and palestine struggling against imperialism police, prisons, and war. These connections will help inform the continued fight for abolition and liberation in Chicago. They are asking for donations to be sent either directly through their fundraising link, bit.ly slash Delegation, or through Cash App, at realsolidarity, or Venmo, at realtraveling. They greatly appreciate your support in helping make this trip a reality for their delegation. You can also find them on Instagram at Initiative or online at RealYouthInitiative.com.
0: Let's give thanks that we're alive and dancing the dialectic at this exact moment on the clock of the universe. Let's look unblinkingly at the society as it is, and let's get busy in projects that reimagine, repair, and rebuild this broken world. Let's try to stay all the way human.
4: Thanks to Damon Williams and Daniel Kisslinger at the Generative and Provocative Podcast, Ergo, to our co conspirators, Roxana Espaz and
0: Palashaw. Go forward, keep rising, and make your life a phoenix rising from the ashes. With joy in my heart and freedom on my mind, until next time.